0: So instead of trying to repay you, I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to you for all that you've given to me.
1: let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Again, we're glad you're here. Singles, don't forget about our Book of the Month Club meeting after the services. We'll be meeting after the service, Book of the Month Club, just about 10 minutes after something like that, we'll start things moving along. So if we could do that quickly, that'd be great. And then, of course, I wanted to remind you, Brother uh, Grady wanted me to remind uh, those, if You are a uh, widow. If you have not picked up your book, you're welcome to grab one of those books out there. And uh, you can't have the whole set, but you can have one. Amen? And I thought that was extremely kind of him. That's something, as I talked to him over lunch, I was, uh, we brought that up a little bit and I asked about that. And he had said that over 20 years ago, the Lord had kind of spoken to his heart. He was heading into a service at a very, very large Baptist church and uh, he had been looking over their... um, well, prayer list, and he got thinking, you know, I bet you there's a lot of folks, you know, in this, this church that pray, and then the Lord kind of put it on his heart, there's a lot of widows in this church probably pray. and then the Lord said, you need to give a book to every one of those widows and ask them to pray for you, and that'll be kind of a swap, you know, and he was like, you realize how many books I'm gonna have to give away, and the Lord said, you know how many prayers you're gonna have lifted up for you all the time, and he said, yes, sir, and so he started doing that all those years ago, And uh, so, well over 20 years now, he's been just doing that as a courtesy and an act of kindness, and obviously a little bit. Let's face it, he's doing it somewhat kind of selfishly too, I guess, because he wants the prayers, and I don't blame him. He covets your prayers, so please be praying for him if you would. And uh, he was appreciative of the kindness of the ministry and the church here. He said that you guys, he just was very impressed with the church and. I certainly am always encouraged when I hear things like that from visiting pastors, preachers, and uh, speakers. So anyway, uh, you know, obviously God's doing something in your life, and it's, uh, it's evident in uh, His eyes at least. So thankful, thankfully that's the case. We appreciate that. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at Acts chapter 5. We're still into our Back to God series, and we're going to try to finish up Back to God, uh, Back to Soul Winning today. And we started talking about that a little bit. Let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42. We'll utilize that kind of as our kickoff point today. And then we'll uh, kind of pick up where we left off and try to touch on some of these other points and, and uh, other issues here concerning getting back. Well, I'm just nervous. as. Always. Voila. <laughs> All right, there you go. Isn't that amazing? All right, so Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And uh, boy, I love to hear things like that. We we probably have, um, I don't know. Well, let me add it up. 15, 15.
0: Mm.
1: We probably have... Uh, Seventy-five hundred in our sound system, probably. Brother Kavanaugh, are you up there? No, he's out having a smoke with some of the ushers. But anyway, uh, all right. Well, when they get done, if you know, let him know he can come join us in here. But anyway, all right. So Acts chapter five. Okay, just looking for you, brother. That's all. Yeah, right, yeah, we, we kind of thought that, yeah, at least he's an honest man, not very sanctified, but he's extremely honest, all right, so, we made, Caleb and I was out, we was on a visit yesterday, uh, we were actually making visits, but then we, we kind of thought, man, we, we're not catching anybody home, so we're just going to talk to people, you know, you know how it is, you know, you don't want to waste your time, you're driven all the way over there anyway. So we happened to be in this one complex, and we saw this lady. I said, let's go talk to her. So we went over and talked to her, and it was interesting. It was amazing. Speaking of smoking, here she was sitting outside, a wonderful lady, by the way, very kind, very nice, and, and she felt kind of guilty because she was smoking. But, you know, I mean, let's face it, folks. I mean, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to make light of smoking, but there are a lot worse things you could be doing, okay? Okay, but anyway, I, I'm just saying, she, she was a kind person, okay? And uh, we had a great time talking with her. We probably talked 25 minutes with her, and eventually her husband, who she called the... Um, she called him the uh, pool boy. But anyway, because she had... Well, you got to understand, there's some, apparently there's a commercial, and somebody's leg, her leg was all messed up, so she would call the pool boy to fix her leg all the time. To, I don't know. I don't get the whole story, but she was telling it to us anyway. Anyway, she's smoking a cigarette. He comes out, packs of cigarettes in his pocket, and as we're leaving that place, after we talk to him a while, Caleb says to me, Did you read the sign on the door? And I said, No. It said, No Smoking oxygen in use. (laughs) And we were laughing. We thought that was the funniest thing in the world. You know? But, uh, you know, so... Anyway. (laughs) Brother Cavanaugh, we'll forgive you this time. you got to get that straightened out, okay? All right? All right. Okay, Acts chapter 5, verse 42. It says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ, and again, we could take some time and discuss this issue. You know, some saying, "Well, there was just too many people. The church was new; they didn't have a building to meet in, therefore, they had to meet in the house." But I do think it's interesting that they were already daily in the temple and in every house, and and I think that's important. And I think it sets the tone for the New Testament. I think it sets a tone for Christianity that we're to take the gospel and we to to the world, into the world, as it says in Mark 16:15, and He said unto them, "Go ye into all the world." And preach the gospel to every creature. And so the idea is that we do not people aren't to come to us, we're to go to them. And so there's that element there. And again, we could look at other verses, that and we, we probably will obviously through the course of this study, but address that issue, go ye into, go ye into, go ye into. And we even pointed out the fact that the gospel begins with two letters, G and O, go. And so we need to take the gospel to people who are in great need. Because if we're waiting on them to come to us, probably not going to happen right now we understand and know that god can do anything and we're we're very very aware of the fact that he could put it on someone's heart to say what must i do to be saved but the truth is in all my years i've only had that happen a few times and i'm not talking about those exact words but i'm saying somebody that literally said man god must have sent you here because i was wondering how to be saved I have had that happen twice, I believe, in 20, probably 30 years of door knocking, 35 years of door knocking. Okay, that, that, I mean, well, actually, it's been longer than that. I think, how long was it I said? Sherry and I have been doing Tuesday night visitation for probably 35, 40 years. Uh, we've been, we, well, she was, before I met her, she was out on Tuesday. I was out on Tuesday before we got together as well. And so the fact is, is that for years, and so all those years, probably two, three times at the most. Now, that's important to realize. And that's why it's important that we get back to soul winning because it seems we've departed from that. We mentioned that we've departed from that biblically proven method. And when I say proven, I'm not talking about necessarily the results. I'm not saying that, that because you knock on doors, you're going to see you know, revival break out in the city. You're going to see revival break out in, down the street. You're going to see revival break out in our, our, our city, our, our county, our, our state, our country, our world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that because you knock on doors, it's proven that you're going to win so many per hundred that you knock on. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that biblically and scripturally, we have seen evidence through the years that when you take the gospel into the world, God does his part. Some water, some plant, but God gives the increase, and he will indeed give an increase. And it may not even be in your area of soul winning. For instance, if we'll be obedient and soul winning, how many times have we seen visitors show up to the Community Baptist Temple and we say to ourselves, did you ask them? Did you invite them? Did you tell them about our church? No, we just uh, strode by. We saw the building and thought we'd stop. Or we found a track somewhere and we just decided to show up. Well, did somebody invite you? No, we just heard about your church, and we think to ourselves, well, that was a coincidence. Nah, that's not a coincidence. That's God working. That's God doing something in light of obedience. And I'm just just grateful for that. But we said, first of all, uh, one of the problems is that we've been noting here is that we've, we've gotten away from this aspect of reaching the lost. And why have we departed from this biblically proven method of reaching the lost then and reaching those in the world that are in need of Christ? We said, first of all, there's been a departure from soul winning to visitation in the church. And so we we used to be out soul winning in, in, in the church. And I'm talking about primarily if you would independent, fundamental Baptist churches. You take the 60s and the 70s, people were going, I, I remember hearing stories about the, the great uh, uh, Akron Baptist Temple in their heyday. They would literally load up bus after bus and take people out into the community and drop them off at street after street after street after street. And they'd just take charge and just, just scour the city with folks out knocking doors, telling people about Christ. They'd pick them back up on buses and drive them back and drop them back off their cars and home uh, to drive home. That's wonderful. Can you imagine if we here at Community Baptist Temple could could just take two buses and line them up and send 60, 80 adult soul winners out every single time we were out soul winning? I don't know what you think. You say, well, we're not convinced that it works like it used to. It may not work like it used to, but I'll tell you one thing, it works. We have soul winners that go out now, and we've seen people come to Christ. Soul winning. I mean, not just visiting as we see here, but we've changed something. We've, we've gotten away from soul winning. You know, if you died today, are you 100% sure where you'd spend eternity? You give much thought to eternity. Do you know for sure that if you died, you'd be in heaven today? But we've really found it to be much more comfortable and easy to say, well, listen, I'm from Community Baptist Temple and just wanted to invite you out to church today. Oh, well, thank you or I'm not interested, or whatever it may be. But that's about where it goes if we're not careful. And that's how many churches have gotten. We're going to make visits on new move-ins. We're going to make visits on on people down the street. We're going to make visits on our neighbor. We're going to make visits around the corner. We're going to make visits today. We're going to invite people, invite people, invite people to church. What about to Jesus? See, it's not the the church's responsibility to, to grow a congregation It's the church's responsibility to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And if the church grows as a result of that introduction, if the church grows because of obedience to reaching out with the gospel, then praise God for that. But we don't want to just build a congregation. It's not the goal. The departure from soul winning to visitation in the church. And we stated a number of reasons and, and, and means by which that has transpired and taken place. But today I want to begin by saying, number two, we see the departure from confrontational evangelism to lifestyle evangelism. We've seen that transition through the years. We went from a time when confrontational soul winning was how we did it. You confronted people. But then all of a sudden, something kind of found its way, even into the Baptist church, this mentality of a lifestyle evangelism versus confrontational evangelism so let's have a word of prayer and we'll discuss that for just a moment father we need you we love you and we ask lord for your leadership guide us now protect us and lord give us grace thank you father for just everything that you do for us lord we are grateful that you give us the opportunity to serve you and lord we're glad father that we don't have to come up with all the ideas you've already come up with them we just have to be obedient help us lord to just do what you've already outlined and determined for us yes yes Lord, there's nothing wrong, and and Lord, help us to be creative in the ministry. Lord, may we not stray from those things that you have basically, Father, outlined very, very clearly in your word and have desired for us and, and the purposes for which we exist. May we not depart from them and embrace things that are not really part of the purpose. We love you now. We need you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we, we, we've departed, it seems. The, the, one of the reasons why we've gotten away from soul winning is because we've departed from this confrontational evangelism to lifestyle evangelism. Now, when I say lifestyle evangelism, let me just kind of define that somewhat. Uh, that would be basically this. It would be saying, um, it, it, it's the act of uh, allowing only your testimony primarily, your, your testimony to speak for you. Um, it's, and, and again... Before you, know, you lose your minds, we're going to give you a few thoughts here, because it's important you understand something here, first of all. Lifestyle is so important, okay? So we don't want to diminish from the reality that a lifestyle is absolutely necessary. Some thoughts. Your testimony or lifestyle is invaluable. You, you need a good testimony. You must have a lifestyle that reflects likeness. I need that. You need that. If we want to have an impact in the world, then we have to be different, See, it is the difference that makes the difference, and it's so important that we understand that, and so the testimony and lifestyle is invaluable. Not only that, but our life builds a foundation or a platform by which to speak. It gives us credibility among the unbeliever. It gives us credibility among our family, our friends, our co-workers. If our life doesn't appear to be and doesn't seem to be or or add up to be christian or christ-like then the world they look at us and say you're just like me and you're going to sit there and preach to me there has to be an element of credibility in your relationship with her you've got to be able to prove to people that you are real that you are genuine that christ indeed made a difference in your life so much so that it has affected your behavior and your lifestyle no testimony no influence No testimony, no influence. I'm convinced that in many cases, a number of believers fail to be a bold witness because they have no witness. If I would pull the co-workers where they work and say, what what kind of Christianity does brother so-and-so have? What kind of Christianity does sister so-and-so have here? It may be sad, but there's possibility there's a good chance that some would say, "What are you talking about? They're Christians. Wouldn't that be sad that your coworkers don't even know you're a Christian? Wouldn't it be sad that your coworkers aren't even aware that Christ makes a difference in your life, so much so that you are here tonight in this crowd, even on a Sunday evening, giving up your time and your energy and your, 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 your comforts even and saying, I want to be in God's house. I want to get what God wants for me, but I want to be an undercover Christian. That'd be pretty sad. So your life has to live up to it. And boy, I'll tell you what, when you live up to God's expectation when I live up to God's expectation for my Christianity and my walk, my life, it is going to be so unique and so different that people will notice something. And that's important. And, and, and just another thought, the best lifestyle is not enough alone, though. So yeah, indeed, you need a testimony and you need a lifestyle. It's invaluable. And you have to realize that that leads, uh, lays a foundation and gives you credibility and authority to speak. And people can look at your life now and say, wow, I, I need to listen to them because I see evidence and fruit of Christ in their life. So yes, lifestyle is important. And so if I was going to say it this way, we do need to, we do need to have an element of lifestyle evangelism then. Your testimony should be speaking volumes to the world. And my testimony ought to be doing the same. So I don't want to diminish the need for the lifestyle. However, it doesn't do enough. You have to go to the next level. You've got to go the next step. Because the lifestyle, the best lifestyle, is not enough alone. We've got to proclaim the message. I mean, even the Word of God, it's called, this Bible's called the Word of God. How does a man get faith? The Bible says what over in the book of Romans? What's it say in Romans 10 17? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know what they're hearing? The Word of God. The Word. It wasn't just Jesus' testimony. It wasn't just Jesus' lifestyle. It wasn't just Jesus' example that makes the difference. It was His Word. And we need words too. You've got to put words to the testimony. The testimony lays the foundation. Nobody could say that Jesus wasn't who He was, who He claimed to be because of His life. He provided a witness of what He said, He had authority, He had credibility. He ultimately laid his life down to prove that he he was serious about what he said, that he was going to keep his word, that he was going to follow through with everything, every claim that he had made even. And they could deny him, and many did. But when you looked at his life, you had to respect it, unless you just downright hated him for his life because it convicted you. But his word... And words were so important as well. It wasn't enough just to have a lifestyle. You needed the words. Now, some would say that an aggressive, confrontational style of soul winning turns people off and hardens them more and more and more. And I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to just say this. Either way, God has used the tongue to proclaim his truth through history. Whether or not you you, you agree with You know, confrontational, and again, when we, you know, we need to define what confrontational means, because here's the point. If I say confrontational, soul winning, or confrontational outreach, everybody in the room might have a different definition of what confrontational means. You had a bad experience with somebody growing up. Your mother or father was extremely off the charts. They were so aggressive with their religion that they they shoved it down people's throats. They had people that wouldn't come to their house. They had family members that just downright despised them. They wouldn't even have nothing to do with them. They, they said they're not even kind. They, 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 they threaten us. They say negative things. They say bad things about us. If I don't believe like they believe, then, of course, they, would, they wouldn't care if I died. Well, let me tell you something. If you grew up with that kind of influence, then when I say confrontational, you're thinking that. You're thinking that there's somebody that's totally unreasonable, somebody that doesn't care about what anyone else thinks. It's got to be your way or the highway. And you know what? I'd understand you feeling that way based on your experience. But that's not what we're talking about. On the other hand, somebody may think that confrontational is simply going, hey, uh, have you ever thought about where you're going to spend eternity? Well, that's pretty forward. People don't like to talk about faith and religion. That's a personal matter. That's pretty confrontational. I mean, it could go from this end to this end, you know? But let's look at a couple examples in the Bible. Look at you would, in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. By the way, this isn't even a pastor. It's a deacon. It's a man that before he was put in a position of authority, he was just a church member. Look at, what him, look, at, look at him. He's addressing this, 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 this Jewish council even. In Acts chapter 7, we have a fellow by the name of Stephen. Verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Acts seven fifty one. Now listen, I'm not saying you need to run out and say, hey, by the way, uh, Uncle so-and-so, you are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and in heart and ears. I don't think that's going to work. But I'm just saying, I want you to understand that in the Bible there are some real examples of how we are to approach the gospel. By the way, the day that you think the gospel can, will not be offensive, you are dead wrong. That gospel offends because that gospel, first and foremost, before it can ever be received, has to be understood that there's a need for it. And until you recognize you're a sinner first, you cannot be saved. Therefore, it is offensive to many because when you start telling somebody they're a sinner automatically they're offended. And that's exactly what's going on here. He's already addressed the Sanhedrin. He's already told them their need. He's already expressed to them what their forefathers had done. And now that they themselves, watch how it goes. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have, ye, have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which stood before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers? He's talking, again, we have this fellow talking to the Jews here and he's telling this, this council and he's saying, look at you guys, you guys put Jesus on, look at what you did, you betrayed and you're murderers, you're betrayers and murderers. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. Who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it? God gave it to you, literally delivered it, hand delivered it to you and you just won't keep the word of God. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now listen, our goal is not to get people to want to gnash on us with their teeth. That's not what we're about. We're, we're not about trying to offend people for the sake of offending. But once again, the truth does offend at times. Now listen, you, you've got some options here. You've got family and friend that you love and you care about. You, I mean, they are special to you. Now listen, you can walk around on eggshells Constantly, not wanting to offend them under any circumstance. And when they die, where will they go? I'm not hearing anything. Where will they go? Exactly. There is a chance when you confront someone with the gospel that they won't appreciate it or like it. I had a family member one time that I went into their home and I, was, I just was driving home one day and I felt the Holy Spirit just put his finger on me and said, you need to go visit this person. You need to confront them with the gospel. I'm driving down the road and I was like, all right, Lord. I pulled into the house, walked in. They received me gladly. I sat at their kitchen table and I said, listen, the Holy, I said, the Lord, I was driving down the road and I'm going to tell you honest truth. God spoke to my heart and told me I need to come talk to you. And I just want you to know, I love you. I care about you. I'm concerned about you and your eternal soul. And I just want you to know that you need to trust Jesus Christ your Savior. And this was the response. Listen, I don't mind you being in my home, but we don't talk about that here. I will not talk about it. You want to talk about that? You can leave. And I said, well, all right. I said, listen, I just had to be obedient to the Lord. I told him that. Years went by. Do you realize? Down the road after years, very faithful witness in his life, continued to be an example, a living example, a, a one of these lifestyle evangelisms. Continued to encourage, continued to be an example, continued to share the gospel from time to time, every opportunity, try to get them to church, try to help them to see the truth. Do you know they trusted Christ one day? Now listen, I I don't know how that all works, but what I do know is this. I, I could have been, I was walking on thin ice that day. But man, I, the thought of that person just going to hell without me even trying was more of a concern for me because the Holy Spirit made it very clear that I needed to step up. And I'm going to be honest with you, I probably should have stepped up a long time before that. It's just that Uh, We'll talk about in a minute what we sometimes were waiting on, but uh, it was going to offend, and and in a sense it did offend. It certainly did, but that's all right. We had family members once before, again, that visited our church, and uh, a preacher preached in our our, our church. It was years and years and years and years ago. and I mean to tell you, my kids were just little tots at those times. And I still remember we went over to the house to make the visit on them because they had visited our church. It didn't matter if they were family or not. We're going to make the visit. They came to us. We're going to go to them. We were grateful that they showed up. We were excited about that. We made the way into their home. They were polite. They were so kind to us. Boy, they were so glad to see us. And we sat down. We talked about some things just in general. And before you know it, we got to talking about the gospel. Unfortunately, they weren't really as... Interested in the Word of God as they were in just communicating, talking, fellowshipping. When I brought out the passages over in the book of Romans and I started to take them through the gospel and it got to the point for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, they said, Listen, I'm, I'm no sinner, I'm a good person. And there with my little kids all lined up in a row sitting at the feet of mom and dad, as I shared that, they said, No, 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 we're not sinners, we're good people. How dare you come in our home and accuse us of being sinners? Wow. And we got the same treatment. You are welcome here anytime, but we'll will not discuss this. We'll not talk about that here. My wife tried to write notes, and she did, until finally the person said, don't write me ever again about this. You say, well, you're pushing it. You're pushing it. You're going to lose them. You're being too, yeah, well, what's the option? Say nothing, do nothing, and then when they die, they go to hell? It was a number of years later again. We heard and were extremely pleased to find out they had made a decision for Christ. This particular family member wrote a book. And do you know what incident he put in the book? the one with us visiting him and his family. He described my kids, my, our family, talked about that incident in his book. Now, I don't know how much that particular incident played a role in his life, but I can guarantee you this, it did make an impact. And may I say today, you don't know what your testimony and you don't know what your confrontational witness will, will cause You've got to speak the gospel. You can't just simply live it. People don't get it by osmosis. They have to hear it with their ears. can't tell you how excited we were to find out they were saved. What a blessing. Uh, Again, we're not taking credit for that. We'll give God all the glory for it. But through the years, there were others, I'm sure, at that point that made an impact in their life. Thank God we could have one little piece It has to be spoken, not just made visible through a lifestyle. And unfortunately, in the Baptist church, the Baptist church even, we have somewhat bought into this idea of lifestyle evangelism. If we just live a good life, if we live a clean life, if we live a life that is a light in a dark world, then they'll see that light and that will be the witness. Or we'll spend six months or a year or whatever, to try to somehow lay the groundwork before we open our mouth about the gospel because we're so afraid of offending someone and losing them. The only problem is, is that don't you realize that we're not guaranteed tomorrow? Our life is but a vapor, appears for a little time, then vanisheth away. Boy, how long do we wait before we open our mouth and share the gospel with someone we love and care about? You know, we talk a lot about going door to door and witnessing, but let's be honest. If we would just be very careful to identify those family members and friends and co workers that we are in contact with on a somewhat regular basis or at least semi annual basis or something, and we would focus our attention on them alone, can you imagine we already have established some sense of relationship? We've already got some kind of rapport. Why in the world do we still? Fail to share. Well, probably because we're just downright afraid of hearing rejection. It's amazing to me. It wasn't that long ago I read an article. A number of, It's been a few years back now. Probably quite a few. We started getting to the point where we weren't permitted to tell children no. Because it would hurt their self-esteem. Cause them to, you know, not be able to Flourish. Let me tell you something, last time I checked in the world in which we live, no is a word I get told all the time. I better learn very early on that sometimes no is the way it's going to be. And you know what, as believers, that word no scares a life out of us. We knock on a door and we're so afraid someone's going to go, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not going to go because the people don't want to hear today. You know what we're afraid of more than anything? Rejection. That's a that I get it. I'm like you. I feel the same way. The only problem is, how many people will we allow them to go to hell because we're afraid of being rejected by them? Especially our own family and friends. And listen, we're all guilty, probably, to some degree or another. In here, I I mean, I know in my own life I am. There are times I have found myself just. Lock it and throw away the key for a while. I just don't want the hassle. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to worry about a relationship that might be strained or a possibly a problem that may arise as a result or being labeled or identified as a particular crackpot. But unfortunately, sooner or later, don't we have to come to the conclusion that only our, even our own reputation isn't worth someone going to hell? You know, that's, that's kind of where we're at. And, and again, you know, we, we see that. So, so you know, this, one of the reasons why we've kind of moved away from soul winning is because we've bought in maybe to somewhat of an idea, well, I'll just let my life speak for itself. And I'll let that do the talking. When even God said, as great as my life that I lived, I still needed to share my word. And boy, you've got to open your mouth if people are going to truly understand and get the, get the gospel and understand it. And so do I. I've got to do the same. What's another reason? Well, let's just check this out. Let's just consider this one. Um, that, that, for instance, in, in some cases, um, not only the departure from soul winning to visitation has caused this problem. Uh, from, you know, Not only a departure from confrontational evangelism to lifestyle evangelism has caused us to uh, depart from biblically proven methods of reaching out to the world. But this one, we visit out of a sense of duty rather than a heart of love. It's really affected this outreach, this reaching out with soul winning in the churches, you know, because we visit or we go out or we reach out out of a sense of duty rather than a heart of love. Now, turn to Revelation chapter two, verse one. Revelation two one. That's the uh, last book of the Bible. <laughs> You knew that, I know. All right, Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. I don't know about you, but this is, this is pretty good. I mean, this is a church that's really got it going, you know? I mean, it's happening here. But notice he goes on to say, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. I mean, you guys have stuck with the stuff. You're laboring, you're, you're working, and you're not fainting, you're not getting weary, you're sticking with it. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Again, I, I don't have time to go into this in detail, I, I, to, to address this whole issue of, of, of what this is going on here 100%, but what there is very clearly, a distinction between the fact that they are busy, very active in the work of God, they are fervent in the work of God, but there was an issue They'd lost their first love. Somehow they had kind of gotten a little bit off beat. Maybe, I don't know, possibly they'd gotten so involved and so busy in the work of God that they had maybe even allowed, I don't know, maybe their relationship to slip somewhat with the Lord. I don't know. I, I, I'm not 100% sure in that. It, it appears that way, but I'm sure there's much more to that that maybe one day we'll talk a little bit more about. But it's important to realize again that you can have a lot of work and do a lot of work without love. That's what I do know. 1 Corinthians 13, though, look at this. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. So it seems that we have a church that possibly, although they had all the right moves, although they were doing everything according to the Word of God, they they, they left their first love. They, They had allowed something about love to, uh, an object of their love to wax or wane. Boy, I tell you, love is, is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing. But can I tell you, you can serve God without love? I mean, it's an ama- I- I'm telling you. Do you know that there are husbands and wives that would say to you, I don't have any love for my mate at all. I just stick in there because it's the right thing to do. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that usually doesn't work too long in our culture in the day in which we live. In the old days, it, it worked. People were so dedicated, so committed, so, so filled with character. Even if they felt like it, it's over between me and my husband, we're going to stick it out because of the, what they say? The kids, right? Well, we don't do that today, really. But the fact is, is that in the day, they did that. So they may feel like there's no love there. Now, I don't want to get into the biblical aspect of that because that's really, a, a for a believer, let me tell you something. When you tell me you don't love your wife or husband, then I'm just going to tell you you're not right with God. And you say, why? Because you're to grow in love. That's a command of God. You're to grow in love. So if you're not growing in love, then you're not obedient. And someone says, well, that's not very fair. You don't know my husband or wife. I don't have to know them because that's not the issue. And maybe, you know, I, I've tried to discuss that a little bit at our couples retreat a little bit. And uh, again, we don't have time to get into all of that. But let me tell you, you look at it sometime. Husbands are to love their wives. You know, it doesn't matter how they treat you, gentlemen. You're just told to love them. You say, well, I don't love my wife. Well, then you're not obedient. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. I'm not saying that I don't have sympathy or empathy for you. Not empathy, because that would mean I'd have to experience it. But, but uh, sympathy for you. But I'm just saying, biblically, if we take the word for what it says, then there's a problem there. Not just the others got the problem, we have a problem too. Now, notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, again, this is one of those passages that I mean, has gone down as one of the great passages of all time. It's the love chapter in the Bible. You know, it's, 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 just, it's the staple of love here. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. There's an interesting statement. He goes on to say, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Look at all the things that are taking place here. The potential, the possibility of service that can take place without love, without charity. You can do anything by your will that you can by love. What I mean by that is you can put on the dog, as my grandma would say, but you will not continue long. Sooner or later, that that grows old. You may be temporarily capable and able to go forward and fulfill the obligation and responsibility of every believer in your own strength through your own effort. But sooner or later, if you don't have the love of Christ, constraining you, and ultimately moving and motivating you, you will burn out and grow weary in well-doing. Notice what it says over here in 2 Corinthians 5.14. See, you can have the works without the love. But let me tell you this. You can never have love without the works. If you have a biblical love, you will have the works but you don't have to have love to have the works. Now, I know that sounds a little confusing. A person that has Christ-like love will have this, the works. They'll do the things. They will be obedient. The love will constrain them, as we'll see here in a moment. But you can have works and not have love. That's That's what I guess what I'm saying. So it says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says the Apostle Paul, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Again, the love of Christ constraineth us, he says. And it puts the brakes on. It it compels us. It motivates us. It moves us even. I mean, again, it, it withholds us. It keeps us from those things which would be displeasing to Christ even. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love always motivates. Love always moves. Love is an action verb. Love is action in the Bible. You can't tell me you love somebody but you're not actively loving. It's visible. It's 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 concrete. It's it's happening. It's 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 just taking place. Biblical love is not just a word. It's not an emotion. It's an action. And too many times we are doing the right things with the wrong motivation. We don't have the proper fuel in the tank to keep on going. And unfortunately today in... In the church of uh, of Jesus Christ, even in, in churches like ours, we, we, we were at one time out on the streets, taking cities by storm, knocking on doors, reaching out to the community. But then all of a sudden it seemed like people weren't quite as receptive as they used to be. It seemed like the, the times and the age in which we live, people have grown cold and, 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 and callous to the things of Christ. And we're going out there saying, boy, this just isn't working like it used to. And I don't have many, many notches in my gun belt. And I can't come back and feel good about myself. and and I don't understand it and obviously it doesn't work like it used to and because in many cases we have been serving out of a sense of duty we lose the motivation to go because if we had genuine Christ-like love for souls the way he did we would go into a world as well and reach them whether they received us or not do you know that Jesus died on a cross for those who rejected him But today in the church, if we were honest, we have stopped going soul winning because people reject us. That's why most churches have quit going because they say it serves no purpose. It's not effective. I had a salesman, not a salesman, but I had an insurance agent that is a wonderful man. He goes to a new evangelical church and I'm going to tell you something. I believe his salvation is secure as the man on the moon. I mean, he's got it nailed down. I'll tell you what, he is one of the kindest, most sincere I think, just wonderful people. i tell you what, I respect him immensely. It was funny, we were sitting across the, he was sitting across the desk one day from me, we were talking about insurance matters, and then he started asking me about the church and about some things we were doing, and we were talking about reaching out and, 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 and soul winning, and he said, you guys still do that? I said, yeah, we still do that. I said, don't you? He said, no, we found that it doesn't really work today. He said, do you guys think it works? I said well I'll guarantee you one thing it's what God says we're to do and it does work we still see fruit from it he goes man I'm glad to hear that but we stopped doing that a number of years ago because it just didn't seem like we were getting any fruit from it and I said well I'll be honest with you if we didn't get one person that ever got saved out door knocking we'd still knock doors because God says to go to every house God tells us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I said, when's the last time everybody in the city stopped by your church? He said, they don't. I said, of course they don't. And they don't, they don't come to ours like that either. We got to go to them. Now listen to me. I, again, wonderful man. And I believe a, a godly man in so many ways. Don't misunderstand me. But again, this philosophy has permeated the church. We've lost sight of why we do what we do and the purpose for what we do. Man, we ought to be motivated and moved by the love of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Duty's the right thing, but sooner or later you'll grow weary in well doing. That's the reality of it. I'm not a fan of burnout. I don't, I'm really not one of those guys that thinks if you work 16 hours a day, you burn out. I don't believe that stuff. What I believe is, is when you are working 16 hours a day, you're not working with a purpose and you're not fulfilling God's balance in your life, you will burn out. When you're focusing and functioning solely on your own self and your own strength and you're not depending on Christ to get you through and to get it done and you're not being obedient to him in that regard, then you're doing it in your flesh. And let me tell you something, you will burn out. Preachers don't burn out because they work too hard. Preachers burn out because they're working in their flesh. Now, there are times in all of our lives we can have a kind of a, a low point. You know, either the loss of a loved one, a family member, a friend. Maybe our health gives way, and before we know it, we fall into a sense of depression. I'm not talking about that. Don't misunderstand me with that. Well, those are issues that are legit, they're real. And so we can go ahead and pass it off and say, well, if they were spiritual, then they wouldn't be depressed at all. If they were spiritual, they wouldn't be down in the dumps. If they were spiritual, they wouldn't have some... No, that, that's, that's not it. you got to be careful how you start judging people. I've never been there, and I don't think anybody that's right with God would ever get there. One day, you'll probably be there then. I'm just saying there are times that we can go through valleys and difficult times. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about to where we, we get to the place that... preacher. Every Monday, I want to quit the ministry. Are you kidding me? I've ne- I don't want to quit the ministry. Every Monday, I want to quit. Why would I want to quit the ministry? It's the greatest life in the world. I no, mean, honestly, are you kidding me? And guess what you're in? You're in the ministry. Do you, you know who says stuff like that? People who don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. I'm telling you, soul winning is so important. It's, it's, it should identify us. It should define us as believers in a sense we should be those witnesses yes with our lifestyle for sure and our words our tongues life and lips and let's not get tied up to where we're just doing it because that's we got to do it if i don't do it nobody will let me tell you something you won't be doing it long if that's how you feel you won't be a teacher long if that's how you feel you won't be a bus worker long if that's how you feel You won't be a nursery worker if that's how you feel. You won't be a church member if that's how you feel. Sooner or later, duty runs out of fuel. You're just not going to have enough fuel with duty. Oh, give me, Lord, a love for souls. Excuse me. Oh, give me, Lord, thy love for souls. For lost and wandering sheep that I may see the multitudes and weep as thou didst weep. Help me to see the tragic plight of souls far off in sin. Help me to love, to pray, and to go, to bring the wandering in. From off the altar of thy heart, take thou some flowing coals. Then touch my life and give me, Lord, a heart that's hot for souls. O fire of love, O flame divine, make thy abode in me. Burn in my heart, burn evermore till I burn out for thee. Boy, may we just live our life on fire for God till the day he puts us out. And then we see him face to face. You and I have only so much energy. We have only so much ability. And we have to be careful that we don't overload on the wrong things. If you are a dad today and you have children in your home, let me you have to make time for your kids. You have to prioritize things in your life, but the problem is you cannot neglect things that God says that are a priority either and God never asked you to choose between a family and the ministry, he never asked you to ch- choose between a wife and the children, he never tells you to choose between. You know, being serving in the the work of God or serving as a husband. He don't ask you to do that. You never have to choose those things because you're called to every one of them and you have to just find the balance. Everyone can be a witness wherever they are. As I close, here's a danger of organized soul winning. The danger of organized soul winning is we meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 to go out and reach the world. We meet on Saturday at 9.30 for our go rally and then go out into the world. And what happens if we're not careful, we compartmentalize our soul winning. We say, okay, we soul win on Tuesday night and Saturday morning. Now that's a danger. Hold on though. It is also about the only way that people will do it. Because, see, if we're not careful, unless we schedule it, it doesn't get done, right? It, it doesn't get done. If you don't schedule it, it's not going to get done. So what we've done is we've put it in a little box. But in reality, the believer really shouldn't put soul winning in a box, because it's not something he does or she does. It ought to be who they are. Right. Amen. And probably in the room today, we're all guilty to some degree or another of not being that person or that witness we ought to be. But that witness isn't just on Tuesday or Saturday, remember. This, it's not just that little box. We don't just schedule a two-hour period or an hour-and-a-half period. We ought to be a witness. And that's where we have to change our mindset. That's where opportunities ought to look inviting to us instead of always scary to us. And we need to be praying and asking God to, as we said this morning, lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just what to say. What to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. Why? Few there are who seem to care. Few there are who pray melt my heart, fill my life, give me one soul today. Not just Tuesday or Saturday. Today. Life and lips. Life and lips. And if we'll do that, being moved and motivated by the love of Christ, we will be amazed what God's going to do with us and the ministry in which we serve. Father, we come to you. We again thank you, Lord, for just the privilege that we have, Lord, to discuss and to address this particular...